and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. La palabra de Dios. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's, um, let's say a prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we've already sung, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be here. We thank you for inspiring this book, this holy book. I pray now that you would help me to preach. And I pray for each one of us that you would open our eyes to see your work in our lives. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we recognized the Feast of the Ascension and the Sunday after the Feast of the Ascension. Jesus rose from the grave and then spent some time with his disciples. And after 40 days, he ascended into heaven and he said, wait for the gift and the Holy Spirit will come. And one of the things that he said was that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. That was one of the very last things he said before he ascended up through the heavens, through the cloud into heaven. And on Pentecost Sunday, we are reminded that in the Holy Spirit, we have power for discipleship, for following and obeying our Lord. The early church fathers and Christians ever since the first and second century of Christianity have understood the Pentecost event to be a bringing back together of something that was scattered. If you know your Bible, in Genesis 11, you know the account of the Tower of Babel, where God's people all spoke one, or the people that God had created all spoke one language and decided in in arrogance and pride, they would build a mighty tower to their own glory. And God said, I'm going to scatter them. And he And he messed with their language and gave them different languages so that they couldn't keep building this thing and scattered them all the way around the world. And at Pentecost, that reading that we just heard there was about God bringing things back together. 
so that all the different nations could be united in Christ and there'd be one church. And how interesting it is to hear all those different languages, even just three being read here. Imagine 20, 30, however many people were there, all the languages. And what our ear does is it keys into the one we know and we hear it over the others. That was such a powerful moment there. And what God was doing is he was making sure that everyone could hear the good news of Jesus in a way that they could understand it. He was bringing things back together. And God is building one church in Christ. But there is a whole lot of division, unfortunately. Still, even to this day, there's a lot of division within the church, within Christianity. And this has to do with sometimes the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the misunderstanding of it. As some of you know, I was part of a church plant, a startup church in Houston for about three and a half years. Our family was there. And the church, when it was founded, was called Church of the Holy Spirit. That was its original name. And about four years in, they renamed themselves Hope Point Church when they changed pastors. And it was interesting that Church of the Holy Spirit, just the name, caused some division. My youth pastor from when I was in the Presbyterian Church would teasingly, but somewhat sarcastically, say, oh, Church of the Holy Spirit. Well, Mike's church has the the Holy Spirit monopolized. The rest of us don't have him. And Jerry would say stuff like that. In another instance, I was wearing a t-shirt that said Church of the Holy Spirit Student Ministries, and we went on a bowling outing, I think, and some person in public came up to me and went, oh, Church of the Holy Spirit, is that a full gospel church? I'll bet it's wild there on Sunday mornings. (laughs) And it was not. It was very somewhat normal, very kind of low-key. And they were expecting a Pentecost manifestation where people were praying out in tongues and prophecy in multiple languages and just wildness, tongues of fire, all of that sort of manifestation they were expecting. And that's not what it was. Now, you see, the thing about manifestations of God's presence is usually they serve a greater end. It's not power for the sake of power or attraction or um, entertainment. I was thinking about even the ascension. The reason that Jesus ascended was to communicate something that he was no longer going to be with them. Because after he rose from the grave, Jesus could appear and disappear, and he moved around, and it was sort of mysterious as to where he was. And if he had just disappeared and gone into however the different dimension of heaven works, they would have been waiting for him to just reappear the next day. But because he gathered them and ascended off of the earth up through the clouds, they knew he's now gone and he's not going to just reappear tomorrow. Not the same way. He's just not going to do what he did in the upper room when he just showed up after they were in locked doors. It's going to be different. And I think the same thing is what happened on Pentecost Day when the Holy Spirit came with a rushing sound of a rushing wind and, and something like tongues of fire over their heads. It showed them this is it. This is the thing I said to wait for. It was a manifestation of God's presence, but the power was for discipleship. It was for living as witnesses of the good news. It was supposed to be a heart thing, like the prophet Ezekiel said. God declared, I will put my spirit in them. I will give them a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. So it's far more difficult to live faithfully as disciples than it is to have a manifestation of of an emotion or a feeling. Those things are good and can be encouraging to us, but the Holy Spirit came to empower discipleship. And I wonder, have you experienced the Holy Spirit in your life? And what was that like? It's not always like this Pentecost experience, but sometimes it's similar to it. And you don't have to be a Christian yet to have experienced the Holy Spirit working on you, even if he's not working in you yet. What the scripture shows us is that the Holy Spirit will begin to work on a person, to begin to turn them to God. 
The scholars call this prevenient grace, meaning sort of like the word previously, like prevenient grace works on a person before they become a Christian. And I think about Peter's sermon here, right after that whole event, when, he, when, when they heard what he preached, it says they were cut to the heart. And then they said, what should we do? And he said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But you see, they were cut to the heart because the Holy Spirit was beginning to work on them. And what the Holy Spirit will do is he will convict us of sin. And this is a good thing. He will convict us of sin so that we start to turn to God and realize I've been a rebel. I've been selfish. I've been running in my own arrogance. I've been hating God. I didn't even realize it. I treated God just as a cosmic vending machine to give me stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm convicted that he is the Lord and I'm not. But what I do with that is another question. The conviction opens me towards him, but then I have to repent and be baptized or repent and believe. That's another way of saying and believe in Jesus. To be baptized into his name is to belong to him. We repent of our sins, and then we belong to him by baptism, and then we get forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was the result of Peter's preaching, and it says 3,000 were added to their number that day. They went from 120 people to 3,000 after one sermon, which is an amazing work of the Holy Spirit. That's what God does. His grace worked on people. Now, if you already are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Even if you've never seen a tongue of fire or a dove come down or had any kind of a big experience like that, you've had the experience of that conviction of heart, and you turn to the Lord, and you ask Jesus to be your Lord. And that's, that's when the Holy Spirit comes in. Now, here's where there's this other kind of language confusion that still persists today. There are a bunch of terms in the Bible for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There are things like being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized by fire and the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes people think, well, if I'm a Christian, I've been baptized by water. Does that mean I have to get baptized again by the Holy Spirit? And so there's confusion there. The answer, by the way, is no, because you can't become a Christian except by the Spirit. And in fact, let me read to you what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. It's very helpful to hear Paul's words on this. He says, in him, meaning in Christ... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So when you heard and believed, you received the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, a down payment, a deposit. It's like earnest money on a house, and it guarantees that God who began a work in you is going to carry it on to completion. He's empowered you to do it, and he's put his presence in your life. But that doesn't mean that you have the fullness of the Spirit. So there are other words like be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting that in this account, when they were starting to speak out and they were praising God for the good news, it says that some mocked and said they're drunk. And Paul in Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I like the, the nuance of that phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled is, is, a, is a passive thing, right? You, here I'm an empty vessel, and then something fills me. However, it's a command. It's an imperative, be filled. But here I am, an empty vessel. How, how, do I, how does that happen? I have to do something to be filled. How does that work? And there are other terms that are like, walk by the Spirit, 
That's another command from Galatians 5. Walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Or set your minds on the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Romans 8. Because the mind that's set on the Holy Spirit is life and peace, but the mind that's set on the flesh is death. So there are things that we can do to engage in ministry with the Holy Spirit. We can cooperate with Him. But hear this this morning. It is possible to have the Holy Spirit and not be living in His fullness. It is possible to have the Holy Spirit and not be living in His fullness. So I ask you right now, privately, in the silence of your heart, take a personal inventory. Would you say that you are walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit now? Or are you somehow living a life that is less than that? It doesn't have His full power. And why is that? Why is it that you're not living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Now, I want to give you an illustration, an analogy, and the minute I start using analogies for God, they break down. So take it with a grain of salt. And I'm changing my analogy, I'll have you know. My wife said I'm not allowed to use the, the pilot light on the gas burner furnace up in the north that we had because I've used it too many times. I can't use that one anymore. But I have a new one for you. That's a good thing about analogies. I was golfing a couple of years ago, and there was a little hill to get up to the next tee, the first tee. And in the golf cart, which was an electric one, we started going up, and it just stopped halfway up the hill. Just stopped. Didn't roll back, wouldn't go forward. I had to pedal down, and we just didn't go anywhere. And the battery was just too weak. So we switched it into reverse and let it roll down and barely made it back to the clubhouse to get another cart and start again. Now, here's the analogy. The golf cart had a battery in it that had some charge, enough to keep us just on the hill. But it wasn't charged enough to take the hill. So we weren't full. We weren't fully charged. We had a battery. Here's, here, let me make it real simple. To be a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit in your heart. He dwells within you forever. But it is possible to be running on a low charge. So it's possible to have the Holy Spirit and not be living in the fullness of his power. So then the question becomes, okay, if Paul says be filled with the Holy Spirit, how? What do I do to do that? Well, I think it's instructive to us, even if it's not it's just in a description of what's happening. It's not a, a command to do these things. I think it's instructive for us to look at what the first Christians did after those 3,000 were added. What did they do? Because clearly they were living in the power of the Spirit, the way the church was growing. In Acts 2, 42 and following, it says that they did four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I want to talk about those four things, not in that order. I'm going to change the order that it is in Acts 2.42. And I want to suggest this morning that if you engage in those four things, you will begin to experience more of the Holy Spirit in your life. The first thing is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This book, the Bible, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wrote it through the personalities of the people that actually physically wrote it but it was the Holy Spirit working through them and in them, both in the Old Testament through, the, through Moses and through the prophets, as well as through the apostles in the New Testament. And I don't know whether or not they knew they were writing the Bible, but I know that they were speaking with authority because Jesus had charged them to do this work. And so the apostles laid down the basic doctrines of Christianity, and the church is built on their teaching. And so they didn't have Bibles yet like we do, but they had the apostles then. So these Christians, these new Christians, gathered around the apostles, and they devoted themselves to hearing what they had to say. Okay, you guys were with Jesus. What did he teach you? And through the Holy Spirit, they explained what it all meant. 
Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. So they were proclaiming in truth the goodness of the Lord. And eventually they wrote letters back and forth. The New Testament is basically four gospels, the book of Acts, some letters, and then revelation at the end. And these letters explain to people what the good news is. So eventually they collected up the letters, and once the apostles died, then they started circulating those. You know, they would pass to one church, here's what Paul said to Timothy about young pastors, and they would send those letters, they would copy them and send one over to that church. And they kept collecting these things up, and they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So they had the word of God in their heart. They stored up his word in their hearts. And since the Holy Spirit inspired the word, he was using the word then to bring faith. Because as Paul says in Romans 8, 8, or Romans 10, faith comes from hearing the word. So they did that at first. Second, I'm going out of order now, second, prayer. They were a praying people. And the first Pentecost happened with prayer bookending it. If you look at Acts chapter 1, it says in verse 14, all these people, meaning the disciples, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So, so they had devoted themselves to praying. And it doesn't tell us exactly what their prayer was, but I'm pretty sure their prayer said, send that helper, Lord, we need help. Send the helper. Because he said, go into the city and wait until you're clothed with power from on high. So they're, they're, just, they're, they're just praying. Come Holy Spirit. We sang that a number of times today. In fact, every Sunday I ask the Holy Spirit to come and convict our hearts before we confess our sins. I wonder if you're open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do you pray that sincerely? Do you want the Holy Spirit in your life? Now, here's the scary part about it. He will come with power, and he will convict you of certain things, and you can grieve him by choosing not to obey when he does convict you. But if you do obey and start to walk in his ways, as it says, he who lives by the Spirit will have peace and will have life but to live by the flesh is death. There's the choice that's presented before you. Do you want to do the hard work of discipleship and invite the Holy Spirit into your life, or do you want to keep ignoring him and stay over here in the old ways? That's for you to decide. But they said, come Holy Spirit. And then after the Holy Spirit came, they still were devoted to prayer, and they kept praying. They prayed a lot. They asked God for more of the Holy Spirit. It says in one place that they, they were being persecuted, you know, as they started talking about Jesus. What would you pray if you were being persecuted for your faith? I might, without thinking about it, I might pray for protection. I might pray for the pressure to ease off. I might pray for uh, wisdom to navigate the cultural setting. You know what they prayed for? They prayed for boldness in their witness. Boldness, not safety. Help us to remain bold and proclaiming what we know to be true. And you know what the Holy Spirit did? He shook. He shook the place. The whole building went like that after they prayed that, and they were filled again. Their battery got charged all the way up, and they went out in power proclaiming. That was what they prayed for. Now, the third thing. So they devoted to the Word, to the apostles' teaching, and to prayer. The third thing is fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And that doesn't mean like just having fun, which sometimes that, that term in the church has come to mean, well, let's do something fun. It's not Bible study. Let's do something fun. But fellowship means getting together with other believers. And I, I don't know if you've had a long season where you've been away from the church and you've been the sole Christian in an area. I think about Brent and I think about our missionaries that go to places where there is no church 
or um, Michelle, um, right now, um, Michelle Hale is over in China for three months for a business internship. She's in a church, but she doesn't understand anything they're saying. She's kind of isolated there. She's longing. I can tell you she's longing for fellowship with Christians. Because when you get with other Christians, your faith is boosted. It's encouraged. It, it, it picks up. Do you know when the Sunday that you should come to church is? It's the Sunday when you feel least like worshiping. That's when you need to be with Christians. You need the fellowship of the church so that others can encourage you. And when you get here, say, oh, I'm really struggling today. I just want to blow off church. I don't want to worship God. And let them encourage you because they know what it's like too. And there are days when you come to church and you feel totally like worshiping God. It doesn't depend on how you feel. Discipleship is a choice to live by what you know to be true about God, not what you feel. But when you come around other believers who are choosing to worship God and are excited about it, it's contagious. It will, catch, it will catch you on fire. It will help you be filled with the Spirit. So you need fellowship. And then the fourth thing is the breaking of bread. That doesn't mean just having meals together, although they did that. They met daily in their homes. They had meals together and shared uh, uh, the, the life. They did life together. But this specifically is talking about the Eucharist having Holy Communion, where they would break bread and they would have wine and they would say, remember, this is the body of Christ and his blood and what he's done for us. And the Holy Spirit would come through that means of grace and encourage them. Every Sunday, we make a point of taking the body and blood of Christ into our physical bodies as a reminder, as empowerment. This is what we have. We have God's presence with us and in us, and it helps us, and it fills us afresh. So four things, the the word, prayer, fellowship, and the sacraments. Those are the things that will help you. So how are you doing on those things? What's your time like in the Word? What's your prayer life like right now? What's your fellowship? Are you with other Christians? Or are you pretty much isolated except when you show up here on Sunday morning? And then the sacrament. Let me conclude by reading something that Paul said to that Timothy, that young pastor from 2 Timothy. Timothy became a Christian because his grandmother was one, and then his mother was one, and then he became one. And the Apostle Paul ordained him as a pastor, and he says this to Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Each Christian has all of the Holy Spirit, but when he's full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has all of him. That's the invitation this morning. Do you want God to have all of you? I want to pause now and pray. I want to invite you to pray with me. Father, I pray now that you would come to us. I pray for the courage to invite you to have lordship. Father, we confess that it's easy in church to say we want to serve you, but it's hard the other six days of the week when we're not here. I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and empower us, that you would draw us into your word, that you would teach us how to pray. I thank you that you pray for us and groan on our behalf. I pray for friendships within the body of Christ, that you would bring around us people who know and love you and can help us. And I pray even this morning that as we break bread, you would open our eyes to see your presence here. Father, we love manifestations of your presence, and I ask for those. I pray that you would let us see your work in our lives, that we would feel you, 
You created us with the ability to feel, and we do need that. But even if we don't, I pray for the conviction to walk with you, that we would set our minds on the things of the Spirit and not on the flesh. Help us to be faithful disciples, Lord. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.